0: Welcome to the Pluto is a Planet podcast, where you can find science fiction and fantasy novels and short story reviews ranging from vintage science fiction novels by H.G. Wells and Mary Shelley to present day science fiction cyberpunk novellas. In this episode, I will be reviewing the short story, The Black Destroyer, written by A.E. Van Vogt. I do apologize in advance. I don't know how to pronounce Van Vogt's name. It's uh, written V-O-G-T, so I'm assuming it's pronounced Vogt. I also have to apologize in that the uh, main character in The Black Destroyer is a coral. It's uh, written C-O-E-R-L. I'm not quite sure if that's the right way to pronounce that as well. Sounds vaguely French and my French accent is terrible as it is. So I'm going to be saying that this is The Black Destroyer written by A. E. Van Vogt, first published in Astounding Science Fiction in July 1939. (music) The reason why I chose this story, The Black Destroyer, is because it's considered by science fiction fans and historians to be the story that ushered in the golden age of science fiction. The Black Destroyer was the cover story for that edition of Astounding Science Fiction. The illustration done for that cover is very well done. It was illustrated by Graves Gladney. Um, it looks kind of like a cross between a Thundercat sigil and the yin yang sign. It's the uh, outline of the uh Koarl, who is the alien protagonist in this story. Would I say he's the protagonist? Well he kind of is. Uh he's the villain. He's the alien creature that's trying to kill the humans, but he's also it's told from his point of view quite a few times so that is part of the reason why because it was like unusually good graphic cover for that for uh a science fiction magazine uh graves gladney was also known as a pulp pulp fiction illustrator uh he's mostly well known for his covers for the shadow and if if you follow any mystery um, or pulp fiction you know who the shadow is. What darkness lurks in the hearts of men only the shadow knows. It's even known now. It's part of like our collective unconscious. That edition also had the first story that Isaac Asimov had published in that magazine. A story called Trends was in that edition. The Golden Age of Science Fiction some say ended in 1945, some say ended later, but it's considered that it did start in 1939. Most people agree it did start with this edition. So it wasn't completely because of Van Vogt's story. It was mon- it was a combination of Van Vogt's story, um, the cover art, and the fact that Isaac Asimov had one of his stories in it. One of Robert Heinlein's, science fiction short stories was the next edition of Astounding Science Fiction Magazines. So that's why this is all considered the the beginning of the Golden Age. Opinions differ on A.E. Van Vogt's writing. His style of writing is not easy to read and he was once described as a pygmy who has learned to operate an overgrown typewriter, which, yes, I know it does use the pig, the racist term of a pygmy, um, but that was also a description by a critic called Damon Knight, and he is so vitriolic in his attacks on Van Vogt, you kind of wonder if Van Vogt owed him money or something. Um, he is not an easy writer to read. It doesn't flow as easily as you would hope it would, but it's interesting to read. Philip K. Dick, who I will be reviewing at some point, um, who wrote Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and other great sci-fi novels, he cited him as one of the science fiction authors who influenced him the most. And his reasoning was that his writing, that Vogt's writing had a mysterious quality, and that what some people thought was sloppy and wrong was more that it resembled reality more than anyone else's writing. And I can kind of see Philip K. Dick's viewpoint in this story, and I'll get back to that. But it seems like Van Vogt is kind of like Marmite. You either love him or you hate him. The SF Writers of America named him their 14th Grand Master in 1995. He did not win any other sci-fi awards. His writing has influenced science fiction a great deal. Um, Everything from the fact that this short story, and the short story involving this same crew that he wrote pretty soon afterwards, were so close to the plot of the movie Alien that Van Vogt sued for plagiarism and actually won an out-of-court settlement and um, 20th Century Fox had to pay him $50,000, which is not too shabby. It's true though, because it's kind of, Van Vogt does have that sense of suspense. He captures that very well. And the main idea of people humans not taking an alien life form seriously enough i can kind of understand the, and the alien life form views, viewing humans as prey van Vogt did write several short stories a lot of his short stories were then kind of compiled into novels he did that a lot this short story the black destroyer became longer novel that also included stories about this um separate stories about this crew traveling through space, not unlike Anne McCaffrey taking the ship who sang and making it into the short story into a complete novel. And you know, that, that whole thing, it's been very popular. It's a very popular thing to do. It's kind of a thing of the, if the, if the fans like it, then you gotta, you know, it's what the customer, wants and if the customer wants it then the customer's right sort of thing van Vogt's influence on science fiction like i said before was was quite huge um a lot of science fiction writers have cited him as an influence it's it goes from everything from a type of cannabis being called the black destroyer <laughs> which must be that uh, there must be some cannabis growers in, in Colorado somewhere who are also science fiction fans to other authors using the coral as a a character in their novels or the aliens actually use the 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 vocalization of the coral of like of the the, the word coral as like their vocalizations i remember there's an episode in star trek where there's a creature that like sucks the um salt out of people um and that's where it gets its energy from sucks all the salt out of people and kills them that way and the coral kind of does that by destroying people and it has like tentacles on on its shoulders that like have either fingers or suction cups at the end um of them and like they suck up the phosphorus out of people so i'm thinking that that's the uh, writer of that episode of Star Trek probably read the Black Destroyer and was kind of like tweaking it a little bit. Although that character was far different. It it wasn't a cat-like creature. So that's all I know about A.E. Van Vogt. And now I will start with the story of the Black Destroyer. The Black Destroyer's first few sentences begin the following way. On and on, Coral prowled. The black, moonless, almost starless night yielded reluctantly before a grim reddish dawn that crept up from his left. A vague, dull light it was that gave no sense of approaching warmth no comfort, nothing but a cold, diffuse lightness, slowly revealing a nightmare landscape. Black, jagged rock and black, unliving plain took form around him as a pale red sun peered at last above the grotesque horizon. It was then Coral recognized suddenly that he was on familiar ground. So, as beginnings go that 's quite a good beginning. I like it that it is from the coral's point of view he doesn't uh, van Vogt doesn 't write it as on and on the coral prowl. it was on and on coral prowled like it's uh, it's not necess- it's not his name you could, like you could say on and on uh Jacob Harold. It's not like that because Coral is also the name of his species, so he doesn't have a name. The style of writing is almost like James Joyce, it's like Ulysses, you know, when you try and read Ulysses and it's like all the adjectives come just kind of weigh you down. <laughs> you know, the black, moonless, almost starless night uh, you know, yielding, yielded reluctantly before a grim reddish dawn, but it definitely sets the tone of a grim situation and it makes you kind of wonder what's happened here. When Carl recognizes that he's on familiar ground, he realizes that he had been, he had traveled the entire planet's surface for the food to find the food that his species ate Um, he describes it as um, creatures that had id or uh, id creatures um, that looked like little snakes or something and he kind of sucks the energy out of them it was kind of odd that he described it as id. I kind of had a hard time figuring out what he was talking about. Um, I was thinking maybe he was sucking out their life energy or because it was id, I'm thinking, is it their souls? Is it, what, is that, what exactly is he, you know, what nutrients is he gaining from this? Um, so that was a bit difficult to understand. He's described as like this giant cat-like creature that's whose... his front legs are twice as long as his hind legs. And he's... I think he kind of looks like... uh... Zool from uh Ghostbusters, if you remember, like, you know, you know, uh, the Keymaster. Um, I know, the gatekeeper, Zool, you know, and, and uh, Vince Clothor, the key master, those two kind of like sort of cat-like, dog-like creatures um, that uh, the Ghostbusters fought. Um, that's that's what I imagine he looks like, um, which is quite a scary creature That if you came across him, but he does have like little um, tendrils that are like kind of what we in place of his ears and they, they, they catch the vibrations of creatures around him. And he, he can, he can manipulate vibrations and he can, he communicates through vibrations. And I really found that interesting as well, where it's like a creature that constantly just controls the vibrations around him. When if you think about it, all of life is basically on a vibration and we do communicate through vibrations because, you know, it just happens to be that our eardrums pick up the acoustic vibrations of sound, but everything else is on a vibration and he uses this much to his advantage later on. So he's basically an immortal creature and he's been traveling for centuries um, all across his world subjugating the other coral creatures. um, Not much is mentioned about these other creatures, aside from the fact that he just apparently subjugated them and, and took all their food away, but they still lived. So it's technically, I guess he could still live forever and not have this and not have to eat off of this. He does. He also doesn't. He's not affected by atmosphere, so he's. He can. I don't know how he breathes, and that's one of those things that probably people were saying. Oh, you can drive you know a Mack truck through this hole in this plot because, you know, these even the scientists are saying how can he you know breathe oxygen, and also exist in a um in. Another atmosphere that doesn't have oxygen and. Um, But it's just kind of accepted that that's how he is. So the, uh, the coral finds out that he has eaten all of the food on his planet that is edible for his kind, which I think, oh, that can't possibly be because he apparently was a member of a civilization and this civilization collapsed and why would he then absolutely eat every single creature that had this energy in it and not like try to breed them or you know (laughs) try to you know possibly grow something else it's kind of but then you know when you think about it well people aren't that much smarter either look at what we're doing to our planet so it could you know i can't say that it wouldn't be you know possible is it's a thing that it's a subject that actually i was talking to with my my uh my friends the other day where the whole idea of civilization makes you civilized and when you take away the civilization apparently this creature coral had been living for centuries after after his civilization collapsed so he had reverted back to this almost mindless creature that just wanted to get food and just concentrated on hunger that he did have the capability of being able to think higher but it's kind of like that that you know pyramid of Maslow's pyramid hierarchy of needs, you know, he wasn't getting his basic needs met so he wasn't thinking on a higher plane. So when he later on does get some food, unfortunately, from the humans who are just about to arrive on this scene, he starts thinking more clearly and starts thinking about how he can possibly conquer all of these people. So, but let's continue. Uh, yes, people do arrive, and this is also a really great description of when he sees the um, when he sees the spaceship land. Van Vogt writes coral exploded from his startled immobility with tiger speed. He flowed down among the rocks, his round black eyes burned with the horrible desire that was an agony within him. His ear tendrils vibrated a message of Id in such tremendous quantities that his body felt sick with the pangs of his abnormal hunger. So already, he's thinking this is food. He's not thinking that this is, you know, some people to connect with. He's not on that level. He's just thinking, I want to, you know, I want to attack this and eat this. Kind of like a tiger. I mean, you know. When we were in, uh, when I was in uh, South Africa um, and I was lucky enough to be on, a, you know, at a Kruger Park, it was very plain where, you know, you could not get out of your car. You stayed in your car unless there was one spot, it, unless you were inside of the compound in the entire park, there was one spot you could actually get out of your car. And the reason was because you could get off get out of your car because you were on a bridge that was over a dry river and you would be able to see a lion coming towards you (laughs) from you could stop in the middle of the bridge you couldn't even stop on the edges of the bridge you had to stop in the very middle of the bridge and it was very clearly marked out you can stop here and to get out of your car and take pictures that's it you know you could not get out at any other times and that's understandable because really if you are the if you are not the top predator you gotta be careful I mean if you ever are interested in how fast cats can move there's an actual video on YouTube somewhere in the in the internet which shows uh, some people who are in a tiger safari park two cars and a lady gets out of the car and Goes to the other side of the car to argue with the person who was driving the car, and in the space of an eye blink, a tiger is out there and has actually pulled her into the forest. That quickly, you just like you, you can't. It, it's you kind of think that think that the film has been sped up or something, and another lady gets out of the car and another tiger has come and gotten her. And it turned out that the first lady didn't get killed by the Tigers, but the second lady did. And it's a thing of just, you know, if you are not, if you're not the top predator, you got to be careful. Which is kind of one of the things that I thought of when I, when I read this. It's the space travelers in this story are kind of like, oh, look, there's this creature and oh, you know, he's, uh, it's quite large and they're cautious but they want to get a good look at this creature and they're they're overly confident because so the curl comes down and sees the people coming out of the spaceship and he sees that they have guns and he actually remembers guns from his uh, from his earlier life from when he used to live in the cities and he stops because he remembers that and he knows that they could kill him. So he starts reasoning about about he starts thinking about what he's supposed to do so he actually he differs from a tiger in that and um the author van Vogt writes and this is one of the things where it's like i can understand why people say he writes awkwardly because the paragraph starts with this came cunning dash understanding of the presence of these creatures Full stop. This Curl reasoned for the first time was a scientific expedition from another star. In the olden days the Curls had thought of space travel, but disaster came too swiftly for it ever to be more than a thought. Scientists mean meant investigation, not destruction. Scientists in their way were fools. Bold with this, his knowledge, he emerged into the open. So he then thinks to himself, I'm going to see, get closer to these people and get them to trust me. And then the point of view turns to a third person point of view, where it's the point of view of the... Um, scientists on the vessel they think well maybe we can communicate with this creature we will learn more about the planet we will learn more about the the cities that are on this planet and they just kind of go about their business and they kind of go exploring the uh they're they're watching the creature but they go about exploring the cities that have been left empty and they're trying to figure out what exactly happened It's like you came upon the Mayan civilization cities, which people are still trying to figure out why the Mayan civilization collapsed at its peak. Kind of like these cities, and it was people. Archaeologists are basically deciding that it was uh, lack of food that they that the population grew too fast and it outgrew its its um, ability to. Feed people. I mean there's probably a couple of other things. There was probably a drought, there was probably wars, you know, all that jazz. But yes, there was, when you come across an ancient civilization, being able to figure out what exactly happened, well, it's a difficult thing. And I can imagine even, you know, they wouldn't be able to read the, the writing in this, you know, if you can't read, if you can't understand the writing, well then what are you going to do? You just have to kind of guesstimate. So I can imagine them thinking, oh, here's a great opportunity. Here's a creature that might possibly give us an insight into this. But they also just kind of like let him kind of be their mascot and let him just kind of hang around and they say, oh, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on him. Well, they think they're keeping an eye on him, but he can move ultra fast. And one of them wanders off and he knows he can sense the vibrations of people and he can sense where they are. and so that guy that wanders off, he disappears for what seems like probably maybe 10 minutes. And in that space of time, finds the guy, kills him, smashes him to pieces, and then sucks out all of his phosphorus and reappears, <laughs> right? You know, um, you know, quickly back and just kind of pretends that nothing's happened. And the... These scientists are kind of like, oh well, it probably it couldn't be him because everyone was keeping an eye on him, and it was just a moment's inattention, and he's he's already killed a guy, uh, um, which I think you know that maybe the coral was correct in thinking that all scientists are fools. Uh, they actually let him on their their ship. It's thinking, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, you're gonna do. Any sort of checking for viruses or any sort of like you know health and safety protocol, <laughs> nothing like that. You're just gonna let him on your ship, okay? Hopefully he doesn't have a space virus. There's no contamination protocol apparently on the ship. Apparently they think that you know there's no da- there's no danger of catching anything. The after the the scientists find the uh, their dead crew member. There's an interesting line in this actually. Um because the character who is the chemist and his name is Kent um g- gets very upset um when he finds the uh the de- his dead comrade and the captain remembers that This guy, Kent, and the guy who just got killed, had, quote, this is, you know, what he writes is, they had chummed together for years in the way only two men can. And I begin to wonder, because when, when afterwards, Kent gets very upset and, you know, really wants to attack, you know, the um, the coral, and, you know, really is passionate about the fact that the coral killed his his friend. And... I'm getting to, I kind of wondered about that line. It kind of, you know, sent up, you know, uh, a questioning thought where it's like, is he describing that this is a, is a, uh, a gay couple? It might be, but of course this being 1939, he wouldn't have said that and it might not be, but it's interesting that that, that's probably would have been what he, you know, it might've been, that's what he, what he was, you know, Uh, maybe, maybe not, it's just, it was interesting that, um, so yeah, the scientists are kind of like, oh no, it can't be the, it can't be Coral because it can't be this creature because, uh, we were all watching him, which I I then think to myself, okay, so yeah, 1939. All right. Yeah. That probably wasn't, you know, the whole idea of, of video or, or surveillance or anything like that. So this is why that wouldn't have happened. These days, there would have been like, weren't there any video cameras? wasn't Wasn't there any, you know? No, nope, it wouldn't have been thought of back then. Um, Kent actually uh, decide thinks they they do a uh, an autopsy on the remains of the their fallen friend, and they find out there's no more phosphorus in his body. Um, Kent tries to uh, lure the The curl to making a mistake by having like a whole uh bowl of phosphorus and the curl just kind of knocks it over and snarls at him because the curl realizes he can understand what they're saying and he realizes that it's it's a trap which i can understand and it's also a thing of It's. It would have been so much easier if he had just, like, you know... It, it, it's... If he had just... He would have had a whole thing of, you know, a whole... They probably had were, had the ability to make gallons and gallons of phosphorus. Yet he has... He ends up killing people just to, you know, suck out, like, you know... A, a cup full of phosphorus off of them. Um, yet... He doesn't view it that way. The The creature doesn't view it that way because he's just viewing the people as ants and basically like, oh, well, you know, I'm just gonna, I'll just, you know, kill these few people. The, the author of Van does write that there's like hundreds of people on the ship, but th- that's never really... Described very well because there's only like it's only the viewpoint of a few people like the captain and a couple of other people He kills a couple more people he Then ends up being um He was imprisoned he figures out how to open up his prison and he kills a couple he kills like seven more people and then he realizes that he's been found out and he uses vibration to blow a hole in the wall and uh, gets into the engine room and creates a ship for himself and also has figured out how to start the engines on the ship itself and get them into orbit. And because what he wants to do is he realizes that He wants, he doesn't, the only way he can actually get off of this planet is by using the ship because he does not have the capability of creating his own ship. So he thinks to himself, well, I can just like, you know, I'll get this ship off of the planet and then I'll just like move myself out, which that was kind of, you know, there's another one of those, you know, big jumps in, in reality. But then again, like Philip, Kay Dix said life is messy and the way that the ship members go about trying to stop the coral is messy and the way that the, you know, because they like try and stop him and then they make a mistake and they make a stupid mistake. And it's a thing of the coral, um, the coral creature makes a mistake as well. Uh, He, you know, he starts, he leaves this, the ship behind, but then he doesn't realize that they can do faster than light travel. And then they appear in front of him. And he's so furious that he, uh, you know, blows up his own ship. Then, you know, then gets, uh, and I'm, yes, I know I am making a spoiler here, but this is, you know, it's so the the whole thing of just like, wait a second. So... His hunger was assuaged, so therefore he was able to figure out how to make his own ship. Well, I am a bit, that was jumping the shark a little bit too much for me. But that could have been, yeah, you know, it could have been also the fact that, that it was less knowledge. I mean, they, if I had read it... Back in 1939, it might not have been so impossible for me to believe it because I wouldn't have the technological knowledge that I, you know, scant that I have, but I have enough to be able to figure out, okay, he wouldn't have been able to do this or this might not have happened. Whereas one of the reasons why I like early science fiction is because there isn't that knowledge and you you can't you can create anything because the laws and the knowledge of things hasn't been set in concrete yet. So anything could be possible. There could be life on Venus. There could be, you know, creatures that could create their own spaceship and, you know, just having never been, you know, able to make a spaceship before. But, that could have easily been fixed by if you had written it today by him being able to you know somehow get the computer knowledge from the computer but then again there weren't really computers back then so there weren't so the whole concept of a computer wasn't even thought up yet so um there's that whole idea so it's a it's the thing of these things hadn't been created yet so what do you do do you create a method for him to be able to do that or do you just kind of jump ahead and say he did it so i i liked this it was a you know the the pacing was pretty good i mean it slowed down a bit when the coral was had killed a few people and then was kind of like okay yeah Uh, you know, um, how exactly he's, and you could tell it was like, slowed down. And then, so the end of the story did bug me because it was a thing of, um, so the coral actually wants to get on the spaceship because, and he wants to create more spaceships with the rest of the coral. Um, because he wants to go out into space so he can just eat more. <laughs> and that's your classic alien creature, you know, from, think about it from aliens. What were those aliens wanting to do? You know, they, they, all they wanted to do was eat. All they wanted to do was just multiply and destroy the whole, you know, the whole world. So they didn't really want to create a civilization. They didn't want to do anything but just, Eat and multiply and destroy, and that's what that's what this curl was doing. Um, so the ending is, it's um it, in the end the the um, scientists decide they're going to go back to the world that where the where coral came from, and they're going to just make sure that they kill all the curl that are left. And um, the the way they're going to do that is by just landing and waiting for the curl to show up and do exactly what that other curl did, um, you know, uh, and just like kill them all. Which is kind of like, what? <laughs> you could just, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe just put some phosphorus down and have them eat it and then find out what's going on and be more... It was kind of one of those things where it's like, really? Okay, you're just going to decide because they're so dangerous. Instead of, I don't know, you know, just uh, maybe making it so that planet is uh, quarantined from the rest of space. Because there would be no way for those coral to get off of that planet. But, you know, okay. Uh, But then it's... uh, the last line which was kind of like it's almost like the the War of the Worlds by HG Wells where it was like you know oh it was germs that killed the you know the evil space monsters and this one was it was history honorable Mr. Smith our knowledge of history that defeated him and I'm kind of like huh um that you know they say he reacted to the he reacted according to the biological impulses of his type a- and his defeat was already foreshadowed when we unerringly a- analyzed him as a criminal from a certain era of his civilization did like van Vogt run out of time <laughs> what's going on here i don't understand it i i, I was kind of like that's just I- the ending disappointed me but Okay, A lot of people have said that they they consider Van Vogt one of their favorite authors. I would not consider him one of my favorite authors, but I can see where he was a great influence on other authors. And besides that, I, I have yet to write my great space short story or science fiction short story or science fiction novels, so I can't be too harsh of a judge on that. Of course, at the end of this story, it's the the Curl wasn't all knowing. What I can see in this story is how Van Vogt was able to create this monster in in the Curl It is a representation of hunger. It's pure, unadulterated hunger and has completely lost all civilization, all beauty. It's just hunger personified. And even with intelligence onto it, it was just thinking about eating more it's just that whole idea of evil it was an evil creature and he created this evil creature that would just wanted to consume everything and he did that successfully and he did create a truly terrifying idea of this just this monster that just wanted to eat everything and how he viewed humans as just the the Carriers, you know, oh they were just like basically you know skin bags holding phosphorus for him, you know he wasn't even considering them as you know he he knew he had to ref- he knew he had to be he had to manipulate them, and he knew they had intelligence, but that didn't stop him from just wanting to devour them and I can understand why this story combined with this magazine at this time which was pre world war 2 um and such great stories came after it and it was the time of asimov and heinlein and other great sci- sci-fi writers which van Vogt was considered one of them not like you know the brightest stars but definitely one of the stars in in the science sci-fi you know, universe, and he influenced other writers a great deal. Yet again, you know, there's, there's no mention of any women (laughs) at all. (laughs) There's not a hint of femininity in this story at all. Um, yeah, which is fine, but it's just kind of like, I can understand why some people are considering early science fiction was very lacking in the, the female point of view, or, uh, any references to women, but that being said, you know, there were other, there were other female authors, there were other female stories from a female point of view. So that's just, but I can understand this being cited as, oh, look how science fiction has come so far where it's, you know, it wasn't very diverse. It was, you know, very masculine point of view and... Which you know that's fine. So um, that was the writing. That was the that was the readers of the the, most of the readers of science fiction magazines back then were, you know, teenagers, teenage boys, and you know, men weren't as many women reading science fiction. Which there's a lot more now. So I hope so. So that's my review of the Black Destroyer, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pluto is a Planet. As always, if you have any short stories or science fiction fantasy novel that you would like me to review, please let me know through Anchor Messaging.